Money FM 89.3. Best of breakfast. Morning shot. Welcome to Morning Shot. I'm Ryan Huang. Now, frozen ties between the United States and China seem to be thawing just a day ago. And that follows U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken's trip to China to meet with Chinese President Xi Jinping, as well as other people in China. That meeting was widely viewed as a good first step in mending freight ties. But that is something that has um, spiraled a bit backwards now. And of course, many of those freight ties which worsened after the whole spy balloon saga with the Chinese spy balloon flying over U.S. airspace. But before those broken fences could be rebuilt, U.S. President Joe Biden likened President Xi to a dictator. That is just right after Antony Blinken left Beijing. So China has since slammed those comments as an open political provocation. So let's get a deeper analysis on this back and forth. We're joined by Curtis Chin. He's the chair of the Milken Institute Asia Fellows and senior advisor for global markets. He's also the former US ambassador to the Asian Development Bank. Good morning, Curtis. How are you doing today? Hey, good morning to you. Doing well. Hey, it's always great having you on the show. And let's start first with that overview. What do you make of this start-stop momentum when it comes to US-China ties? And it does seem like right now it's one step forward and two steps back. Yeah, you know, I would hope it's uh, two steps forward and <laughs> one step back. But uh, indeed, it'll continue to be a bumpy road. Um, I think we need to, uh, to look at the bigger picture. You know, this relationship between China and the US is such an important one. Each of the two countries, you know, I'm an American, people can't see me, but I'm American, um, but each of the countries uh, also very much focused not just on hopefully a more predictable relationship, but focused on their own domestic politics. Um, and I think we saw that uh, play out yesterday, you know, whether it was a misspoke or uh, uh, what mm. um, President Biden's description of Xi Jinping was for domestic U.S. audits. I think it was actually for a fundraiser. He's running for uh, re-election. Um, but again, the reality of media, social media and others, is that one thing that you might say to one audience is certainly going to travel around the world, and that's what's happened here. The question here is really, you know, how will China choose to react to it? There's so many incidents on both sides that one country can choose to overreact to or, or use it in their own way, and they won't think it's overreacting. But they're uh, seeking to make a point that these two countries clearly should treat each other with respect. Yeah, you mentioned uh, Joe Biden misspeaking. It would not be his first time. Would you expect him to walk back some of those comments to some extent, especially with the response that now China has come up with, calling it open political provocation? You know, I, I think that's the best question for uh, Biden. I certainly the, the White House might say something today uh, if they feel pressured to do so. But my sense is that many in the United States will say, well, there goes Joe Biden. Uh, um, let's focus on the big picture. And we talk about, you know, what just happened, uh, Blinken's visit, you know, an important visit. And it'd be one, a meeting uh, or a, a series of meetings, meetings over two days. A uh, series of meetings, Blinken in China, but um, very much uh, low expectations, well met. Yeah. You know, it's part of a bumpy road forward. It seems like being able to meet Xi Jinping was something that was a positive surprise. Yeah, you know, that, again, is a positive thing, these little incremental steps forward. The hope is that, you know, that meeting gets on track or back on track, you know, a dialogue between the two nations that seemed on track last year in uh, in Bali at the, the G20 meeting when President Biden and Xi Jinping uh, uh, met on the sidelines of the big G20 meeting. But that was followed soon after by the spy balloon, spy balloon incident 
which, you know, delayed uh, Secretary Blinken's trip uh, to now. So hopefully both countries can see the wisdom of uh, moving forward this dialogue. You know, the other thing I was struck by is that for me, the ball very much remains in China's court. Mm. Uh, so to your question, it's about how do they react uh, to some of these comments? Uh, how do they choose to use these comments? You know, the big hope, uh, uh, but clearly expectations were that it was likely would not happen. But the big hope from the United States side at this uh, recent uh, trip by Blinken was that China would agree to resume kind of military to military dialogue between the two countries, China and the United States, so that an incident uh, wouldn't this quickly get out of hand, that at least the militaries could talk to each other. China chose not to do that. This would even follow the Singapore Defense Secretary and others at the recent Shangri-La dialogues in Singapore saying, yeah, you two countries need to communicate more. China chose to do that. So China will decide when it seeks to improve communications. Um, yep. I think Biden can say, uh, I did what I did, and now let's go back to my running for a, a re-election. Do you sense a different tone coming through from both sides? So following the Anthony Blinken visit to China, we saw China saying both sides made progress. But according to Blinken, progress is not straightforward. So he was seemingly a bit more measured when it comes to the optimism of how things would play out. Was this, uh, no, I guess, alluding to what might be coming up in the next few months, especially with the coming U.S. elections? Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, again, these are questions best for the ones who are trying to interpret their words. But very clearly, you know, a, a scholar I follow uh, is a woman named Bonnie Glazer, who's terrific. Mm. And she always goes through these efforts to look at what both sides say in their readouts. And I would say, you know, both sides uh, share their existing, in a sense, talking points of where they stand on what both sides see are their own critical issues. So I don't think that's changed. Uh, what was important about this recent meeting is that at least there's a dialogue continues mm -hmm. and that hopefully it's a road to a meeting between President Xi Jinping and Joe Biden. Uh, people talk about November, which is when the United States hosts the final uh, APEC leaders meeting this year. The United States is the host, host of this APEC group taking over from Thailand uh, at the end of last year. So the hope is that that's what both sides are working for, uh, working towards. And in the interim, uh, just as the Secretary of State came to uh, China, uh, China's foreign minister has uh, been invited to the United States to continue that dialogue. Uh, and I think for me, that's what's so important, that sense of talking and yeah. dialogue. As that's a very good point. Talking is a good sign that dialogue is going on, so there is potential for things to be resolved. And there are still a lot of things to be resolved on the table, and we have issues like Taiwan, Xinjiang, Russia's war against Ukraine, we've got trade issues as well. Where exactly do you think the middle ground can be? How much progress are we seeing on these issues as we you know, see the previous few meetings unfold? Well, it's, you know, I mean, such a range of issues. I think some, uh, the most sensitive ones, Xinjiang, you know, Taiwan, the South China Sea, you know, called the West Philippine Sea in the Philippines. I think it's important that each side understands each other's positions. You know, that's because I don't think they're changing is the reality. I hope both sides continue to see the importance of peaceful resolution on any of these critical issues. Because, I mean, look at wonderful, wealthy Singapore. Look at the, the cities and countries of our region in Southeast Asia. They have grown wealthier 
because of free trade, because of peace in the Pacific. So anything that upsets it, you know, clearly it's the region that will be decimated, not necessarily China and the U.S., but it's the region that will suffer more. Uh, so clearly it's the interest of a Singapore, of other nations throughout Southeast Asia to encourage these two countries to resolve some of these things peacefully. When you talk about middle ground, you know, the hope is that, you know, whether or not you call it middle ground, but that there are areas where these two nations can mm. cooperate. You know, people sometimes talk about the issue of fighting pollution, you know, notions that these two countries can, can come together on some issues related to climate change. You know, other areas that, you know, I was thinking about it when I hear people, when I travel around the region, there's such critical challenges in this region involving biodiversity. You know, the amazing, you know, uh, natural wildlife and other resources of our region. Uh, are we managing them sustainably? Is this something also that multilateral institutions, the Asian Development Bank, uh, the World Bank, institutions that can get China and the U.S. to cooperate uh, on some of these areas? You know, I was at a recent dinner in the United States, um, and someone noted, you know, Milken Institute does a lot of work, uh, of course, in finance, but also in the area of encouraging investments and thinking about health and bioscience. Could China and the U.S. cooperate in such areas as like breast cancer research? Other areas where clearly, hopefully, the politics are removed. So there are indeed areas of cooperation, but it's, does either side or more importantly, do both sides see the benefits of cooperating? Uh, I would hope Singapore and others would encourage both countries to do so. Mm. Hopefully, the ongoing dialogue helps with that uh, to move the needle when it comes to cooperation and to find some common ground. Uh, now, with this happening in the backdrop, are you also seeing perhaps investors starting to hedge their bets in the way of the China plus one strategy, you know, diversifying away from China to just places like India? Is that something you think is going to pick up momentum? Um, in a nutshell, yes. Uh, I've got a lot of dinners that since I'm in the U.S. So I was at an event hosted by a media platform and organization called the China Project, uh, where the dinner speaker was the head of global research of a big global corporate uh, and an investment bank. Uh, and this person had just come back from a regular visit to Asia. And for me, the takeaway, uh, she, she was asked... You know, what is the big, you know, risk to the uh, uh, to China in the near term? You know, is it U.S.-China um, tensions or something in the South China Sea? The actual answer was very interesting. Uh, the biggest risk near term to China was seen as the Chinese government's own evolving attitude towards its own private sector. Uh, it was noted that job creation, especially for young Chinese graduates, cannot be driven by state-owned enterprises. You know, I think mm. we've all seen the stories about uh, uh, what happened to some of their one-time high-flying tech pioneers like a Jack Ma, uh, um, that uh, are Chinese entrepreneurs themselves, uh, innovators, more risk-averse now, given uncertainty over the Chinese government's attitudes towards the private sector. The backdrop of this conversation we're having is that, I think as you just noted right before we got on, was the U.S. economy is pretty much going gangbusters. You know, we got worried still about growing too fast and inflation. Mm. Meanwhile, China is slowing. Xi Jinping is in a very difficult domestic situation given record unemployment for young adults in China. You know, probably no country wants 16 to 24-year-olds with nothing to do. You know, are they going to protest? Are they going to be uh, speaking up about where was this promise that our government uh, would deliver on a continually growing economy? Keep in mind that China is still also dealing with the after effects 
of the world's strictest uh, COVID controls, uh, which then led to protests and really an overnight switching. So clearly disgruntled people in China. So Xi Jinping had this backdrop of a slowing, and according to some data, a shrinking China now, where the population is even shrinking. So there are a lot of challenges that China will need to think through. And my hope is that given that, both sides will see the wisdom of predictability and stability in that U.S.-China relationship to help ensure peaceful growth that will benefit not just each country, but the entire region. Yep, hopefully we see at least uh, two steps forward and one step back as we see the dialogue continues and more progress being made. Well, Curtis, it's always great having you on the show and thanks for those fantastic insights. Thank you for having me. We've been speaking with Curtis Chin. He is the chair of Milken Institute Asia Fellows and senior advisor for Global Markets. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the SPH Radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.